Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. And the Mets in the midst of hunting for a new general manager, so catch up with the former Mets general manager. You can hear him on SiriusXM, the always interesting Steve Phillips. And uh, Steve, thanks for coming on. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. You too. Uh, so what would you, as someone who's been in the seat and knows what it is to be the Mets general manager, what would a potential candidate need to know about that job? Well, it's, you know, every job's complicated. I mean, that's that's the thing is. And I think they've got to, you know, anybody coming in is going to want to define as to who's there and what everybody's role is. I mean, I think that's going to be critical for anybody coming in so that they understand you know, the, the sort of framework of, of who they're working with and what the, the reporting chain of command is. Now, I'm, I'm a, more of a big chain of command sort of a guy. I want there to be clearly defined job descriptions and roles for people. Uh, I don't want them to overlap. I don't want people to have authority uh, without responsibility. Uh, I need to know that as a general manager that everybody in the baseball department reports to me uh, and that, uh, you know, that my relationship with ownership is the one that channels everything, uh, and uh, you know, and, and and I'm not sure that's. I mean, I don't know whether that's going to be the case. You know, there's there's a, a belief there that uh, you know they can have a what they call a collegial relationship, where there's a free flow of information from the top down and from the bottom up, uh, which means that people can you know sometimes go from the lower level of an assistant trainer to the owner if they want, and and it's okay. Uh, I tend not to like that structure. I want there to be a chain of command so that there's there's a fabric and a structure to the organization. So that's something that has to really be defined. And, and, and the Mets aren't the only one like that. There's a lot of organizations that, you know, there are a lot of people with different titles that you just need it, need it to be clearly defined as to what the structure is. And then what are the expectations? Like, you know, what is what is success? Is it winning? Is it making money? Is it, uh, you know, breaking even? Is it, you know, rebuilding for a couple of years and winning down the road? Like, what, what are the expectations of the position? Because uh, I think that's going to be important as well. Otherwise, you know, people might, uh, might not, uh, if they don't agree with that being a plan. For instance, in San Francisco right now, uh, a guy like Ben Charrington had his name in, in San Francisco, but he's pulled his name out of consideration, I think, because he probably looked at San Francisco and I would go into an interview there and say, you need to completely rebuild. Mm-hmm. You need to trade away guys. You need to rebuild your farm system. You need to start to build it from the ground up. And they may look at it and say, yeah, but we've got this business plan where we're selling all these tickets. And if we do that, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're going to lose the people that are coming out to the ballpark. And I'm going to say, we're going to lose them either way. Uh, and you've got a chance to get them back more quickly if you rebuild than if you try to win with all these old guys that you're stuck in the middle with right now. Uh, and so I think that, that making sure that your belief is in sync with the belief of the organization is critical as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be messy in San Francisco. You have so many legends in that franchise as well. But uh, as you mentioned, they are, they are aging. And you look at the Mets situation here as we chat with Steve Phillips. If you just look at it from the roster you're inheriting, the farm system you inherit, uh, and the fact that it is in New York, this should be an attractive job, no? Well, it is. It is and it isn't. Uh, I mean, here's why. I think the Mets are, are, are a little bit one of those teams stuck in the middle as well uh, because, you know, you could look at the framework of the roster and think, okay, well, I like some of the starting pitchers, but they all come with some level of unpredictability because of health, like all of them. 
uh, have some level of unpredictability. I like some of the position players, but there's some unpredictability of health. Like, I don't know what Cespedes is going to be, and he's a critical part of it. You've got uh, four outfielders for three spots. You don't really have a first baseman. Um, and, you know, I think Todd Frazier would be better served as kind of the first base, third baseman backup and have an everyday player at first and everyday player at third and let Frazier be the guy that spells those two guys, and you need a catcher. Uh, and so that's a lot of, and, only, and you need a closer to rebuild your rotation. And even with all of that, you still have some unpredictability with health of the rotation, but maybe you go for it, but you don't have a real farm system. And so we can maybe try to compete for the next couple of years, but if it, and, and even with that, you've got some questions uh, that you're going to be able to, because you didn't really compete last year, you thought you might be able to, and you don't really have much of a farm system to be that feeder. So at some point, you're going to have to trade some guys to restock your farm system because if you play it out to the end, try to win with everybody, let them go to free agency, then, you, then you're really starting two years from now starting to restock a farm system, and you're two years chasing your tail until you get there. So the Mets are interesting, but they're also somewhat complicated. Well, the, the farm, it's not great, but it's in a far better position than it was at, say, this time last year, is it not? It's it's. Yeah, I think there's there's some guys, but it's not it's not the feeder system yet. I mean, that's the thing is it's not really the feeder system. You're not anywhere near where the Blue Jays are right now as they're getting ready to you know for their rebuilding. They're ready to you know break in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Sure. At some point, Boba Shad. At some point, Kevin Biggio. Uh, they've got the Danny Jansen kid up there. You know, they're not where the Yankees are with that sort of depth right now, uh, and so they have some some potential impact guys, some of them a little further away, but they like some of their guys. But, you know, it's not really the feeder system yet. It's not like two years from now that they've got this system the way you want it. You want to have waves of talent. So you've got some upper-level guys ready to hit the big leagues. As they get ready to impact the major league level, you've got that next group of guys to come in to be able to protect some of the other veterans who are aging or to be able to trade some guys to fortify your major league roster. You need depth of players to play for you and trade to be able to supplement your roster during the course of the season. That's the level of depth that the Mets don't have. Mm. And we're talking again with Steve Phillips, uh, former general manager of the Mets here on Sirius XM. As far as how the Mets are handling the interview process, uh, the first interview will be with Jeff Wilpont as well as John Ricco, the assistant general manager. And then uh, down the line when there are final candidates, Fred Wilpon will get involved. How, how differently... Would a candidate have to approach, let's say, Jeff and Fred in terms of their philosophies on the game to try to win both of them over? Yeah, I think it's. I, I think Jeff is probably more the guy that will be breaking down the everyday responsibilities of the general manager and what his expectations are. Fred will certainly have some of that, but I think at this stage, Fred's probably more the macro view of you know, what's your general philosophies, your general sort of approach? Because I don't think Fred's as involved as Jeff is on a daily basis anymore. Uh, so Fred's going to want to make sure you've got a good representative of the organization, that you're going to be a good spokesman for the organization, uh, that you're, you know, that you understand analytics, that you understand people, uh, that, you know, because I think they're going to look for more of the hybrid executive, not somebody who's strictly analytics, is uh, uh, strictly, you know, what I see is what I believe. Uh, in some combination of the two. Uh, but, you know, and, and I think the other important question here is, do they want somebody with experience or do they want a fresh 
mind, a fresh voice, a young guy who hasn't done it just yet. Um, you know, I think that that uh, it's easier for Jeff in his level of involvement if it's somebody who has less experience, right? Because they can kind of grow together in in that role, and Jeff can have a little bit more input there. Uh, a more experienced guy will likely say, I got it. I'll, I'll let you know what I'm doing, but I got it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little different sort of relationship. So I think that will be an interesting part of this, right? That it's easier to manage a new guy, a young guy, like I was. It's easier for, for Fred to have more involvement in, in, in that than he was for Sandy Alderson because Sandy, you know, had done it before. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he's an older, more mature guy. Uh, you don't have to kind of grow up with him at the big league level. So I think that dynamic will be very interesting as well. How active was Fred in your time as GM? Was it simply you go to him, hey, I want to do this, and it gives you a thumbs up, thumbs down? How would you describe it? I, 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 Fred was very active. Uh, I mean, I talked to Fred probably every day for the six years I was general manager, maybe twice a day. And on the weekends and the off season, I talked to him all the time. And, and we became very close uh, because of it. Uh, he was he was active on a daily basis, and and that involvement, you know, I think that that you know every owner is different, everybody's style is different, uh, and you know Fred was he played devil's advocate, which I like, you know, he challenged the thinking, right? So he didn't he didn't say this is my belief. He would ask questions to challenge the thinking to make sure that we're doing our due diligence. You know, my belief was I'm going to kill him with information. So that he understands that we're we're looking at this from every possible angle, and I wanted that too, right? So I, when I would interview, you know, interview when I would meet with my staff, you know, and they would have ideas, I would challenge the idea, even if I thought it was the right idea. I'd say, yeah, but what about this? Well, what about that? And I'd want to hear every angle and every side of it. Fred does a lot of that too, and did a lot of that in those sorts of meetings uh, when we get everybody together there, and and. Uh, uh, you know, and, and so he was pretty active uh, back then, and and uh, I don't think he's nearly as active anymore. I think Jeff probably takes on more of that day to day sort of 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 uh, you know being part of those conversations. And sometimes you just have to listen, and you come out of it thinking, all right, well these guys are really looking at it from every angle. Good, go get them. Sometimes you ask questions just to make sure they know that you're still involved in it. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that in the long run, they'll let the baseball people make most of the decisions. Uh, it will just, you know, they'll work within a framework of a budget business plan. Is there a person that you think is the best fit for this job? Well, you know, it's so hard to know. Like, I, like I, I really like Ben Sherrington. I think he's, but he's, he's not really in it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I really would have liked him to be a candidate for it. Uh, but I think he can kind of wait, pick and choose a little bit. They got some really big things happening in Toronto with some of their young guys that that he can wait for the right job for him uh, to be part of it all. Uh, I love Tim Nering uh, with the Yankees. Uh, you know, now I don't know necessarily whether that's going to be the right fit for Nering uh, or whether the Mets will go that road. But I'd love to bring over some of that Yankee analytics, some of that Yankee way of thinking. To you know, to steal some of that information, I think it'd be huge for them uh, to be able to do it. Now, David Stearns with the Brewers does a terrific job. I can't imagine why they'd let him out of his position there. He's done a, tr- a great job for them. Um, you know, Jared Porter with the Diamondbacks is a name that a lot of people have respect for, as is Jason McLeod. You know, anybody who's worked with Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer in Chicago 
would absolutely be somebody that I would, would want to be involved with and would give some strong considerations to. Uh, and he's been in charge of player development and scouting there. He's been side-by-side side with Theo and a lot of the decisions-making they've done there and the way of thinking and the analytics and the growth and everything, and it's a large market team, which I kind of like. Uh, so, you know, I could see McLeod being a guy that uh, could get some strong consideration. How about uh, Gary LaRock, who's your scouting director when you're the general manager uh, of the team? Uh, what, what are some of his strengths and weaknesses? Uh, I tell you, if, if, if Gary can be included in this, I mean, I, I'm shocked that he hasn't been a general manager. Part of it is he's not a self-promoter at all. And, 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 and in some ways, probably to his detriment for his career, because there is some part of it that if you want that job, you got to put yourself out there a little bit. He doesn't ever do that. He is as organized and as detailed a guy as there is in the game. Uh, huge in player development and scouting. Has a great eye for talent. Has a great eye for organization. He brought us, you know, when I, when I brought him in, he got us, you know, with our computers, you know, up to, to speed with how far we were lagging behind there. Uh, he has, has drafted players, he's developed players, he's hired and fired coaches and scouts, uh, absolutely negotiated contracts. He's, a trem- he's got a great resume for it, and I know he is so well-respected in St. Louis right now where they keep getting this, this feeder system of young talent coming up. That's Gary LaRock. That's him overseeing player development and scouting uh, in St. Louis. So uh, I think he'd be a terrific candidate uh, to be a general manager uh, he just never seems to have gotten his due, and he's a worker bee. He's not a guy that's out there, you know, doing every interview, wanting to do it. He just goes about his business, but a very well-respected guy in the industry. Key time for the Mets as they fill their general manager void uh, sometime here over the next couple of weeks, uh, perhaps months, but uh, the Mets looking to get that done. And Steve Phillips, great insight as always, Steve. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Uh, Steve Phillips, giving you, you know, what it is to be in that seat as the Mets general manager and uh, a little extra on some of the names that we do here uh, are involved is uh, John Heyman of FanRag Sports at uh, the latest today, uh, Doug Melvin, Gary LaRock, Kim Eng, and uh, Dijon Watson. They will interview. Uh, and according to Heyman, six to eight other candidates that are unknown all in the mix as well. As the Mets have said, they'd look at some non-traditional candidates. So uh, we'll see. We might not even find out exactly how non-traditional the Mets are willing to go. But you have a, a fairly traditional list thus far as far as the publicly known names. And uh, we'll react a bit to what Steve Phillips had to say about this job coming up. And take your calls as well. 800-321-0710. What do you want to see in the next Mets general manager? Again, 800-321-0710. It's a sports zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR sports zone with Pete McCarthy. The Mets general manager hunt continues, and, and some fun insights there from Steve Phillips. And he knows what that job is about, what it is to be a general manager in New York, specifically with the Mets, with uh, the Wilpons as owners, and you know, really giving you a, a little perspective of what it's about. And, and I do think it was telling when Steve Phillips was discussing the the natures of the job, and that hey, you know, while all thirty jobs have some complications and things of that matter, that you know, he would be focused on the chain of command and and what is uh, the chain of command within the Mets and that is a a deep question because it's not just you know if ownership can have a say and you know 
pound that they want a certain player to be signed or, or something along those lines. But you have a lot of uh, different people in the mix. Terry Collins has the ear of Fred Wilpon. Omar Minaya in that front office, along with J.P. Ricciardi, John Ricco. Are you keeping those guys around? Do you have the ability to clean house completely? Uh, you know, and this is how you end up with information getting to the top or opinions getting to the top that maybe you don't want as uh, the general manager. And things can become competitive, factional, and a, a little messy in those things. And and even Mickey Calloway uh, factors into that, I think, as well. Do you have a say as far as whether he comes back and is your manager? If you don't have a relationship with Mickey Calloway previously, would you want him to continue as the manager? And while Jeff Wilpon at the season-ending press conference said basically, hey, whoever comes in will have the ability to make these decisions, he also made it fairly clear that he wanted these guys back and and to be around in in some way. So, you know, exactly how much say do you have over uh these situations? Even if Jeff wants something or ownership wants something, does that mean the GM, hey, your opinion overrides and and you get what you want? And, and that's something that the GMs have to find out about in the interview process. It's not just interviewing hey who's the best gm candidate here who has the best plan for the mets it's also it also cuts the other way in terms of hey am i going to be able to have success here am i going to be a a fit here Uh, i do think that the farm system is in better condition than you know steve allowed and i get they haven't developed a ton of players in recent seasons as we have seen it's jeff mcneil uh, and you know next year Pete Alonso will be in that mix at, at first base uh, unless they move him this offseason. You have Justin Dunn, David Peterson, a couple of first-round pitching prospects that are moving their way up through the system. Uh, Jared Kelnick is still a ways away, but a very talented first-round position player, outfielder pick uh, by the Mets this past season. And Andres Jimenez is Probably the number one prospect in the organization right now. I guess you'd argue him with Pete Alonso. Uh, and, and Jimenez, who knows exactly where he fits in as a middle infielder or what his ceiling is. It's not a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. type of situation. But I, I think that the the Miners have had a, a good run here, but it does remain to be seen who the real impact players are going to be, and I suppose whether or not you buy into Pete Alonso as an everyday National League player, that being someone who can defensively handle first base every day, uh, could certainly impact how you view the minor league system overall. Uh, but this is, as we've talked about, a huge hire for the Mets, an opportunity to uh, have a new voice, new opinions in this organization, to try to freshen things up. The Mets, they don't need a complete facelift here, but they need some adjustments big time. They have to develop players better and have a system in place to do that. They uh, need to be able to go out and fill the holes that they have, significant holes in the bullpen. You basically got to rework that whole thing. Uh, you've got to find a way to add some offense to this team. As Steve mentioned, it's a question mark what Ioannis Cespedes is going to be able to provide this upcoming season and how you're going to handle him going forward as he is under contract through the 2020 season. Uh, so yes, there are uh, some difficult decisions to be made here, but I am far more optimistic about this team at this point than I was, say, two months ago at the end of July. Uh, Jeff McNeil locked down a spot I think he's an everyday second baseman. 
You had uh, Michael Conforto bounce back in a big way and look like and play like Michael Conforto, the all-star from the previous season over the last couple of months of the year. And it wasn't just empty numbers. Uh, he did it against teams competing for postseason berths down the stretch. He had success against those teams. He hit the left-handers. He did a lot of things right, and it was just a matter of him strengthening not only the shoulder, but probably his hands. Uh, you know, he didn't swing a bat all winter. He didn't have his normal preparation. He didn't have his spring training. And the fact that he looked like a star once again, uh, portends big for this team because they need a middle-of-the-order bat that they could depend on knowing that Ioannis Cespedes is likely to miss at least half of this upcoming season, and even if, when he does come back, coming off surgeries on both of his heels, how much is he really going to be able to give you that first year? Is he going to be able to play every day? Is he going to be able to start in left field? Uh, Those are major question marks and why I think you go into this season assuming nothing from Ioannis Cespedes, but you want this organization to to take that next step in ways that we see the other successful teams around baseball do. Uh, bump up the analytics. Uh, be a little smarter about how you go about the decision-making process. And, and these are all things that Mets have to uh, get better at, be better at, develop better, and become a team that once again could play deep into October. And it feels like they struck lightning in a bottle back in 2015, the way things went down that last couple of months of the season and into October, and they haven't been able to recapture this. In 2016, a wild card berth. In 2017, 2018, certainly seasons where they win uh, in the 70s in terms of games. And you know a lot of flaws certainly coming to the surface over the last couple of seasons and things that they have to write as an organization and yeah that chain of command will be a key part of it and what you hope is uh, whoever this gm is they have that full autonomy they have the ability to make these decisions and build the organization the way that they see fit they're the experts there's a reason they're being brought in in this kind of job and you know will the mets allow that general manager to have that kind of power it's a, it's a huge question in this search and you know, one of the reasons why maybe you do see uh, quite a few candidates not in a hurry uh, to interview and you know get in the mix uh, for this job and that's something that you know, I think the Mets can still do here is change that perception or at least attempt to over the um, the next few weeks as they start this process. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the names you see now, I don't think any of them is terribly exciting. And, you know, Steve Phillips has some good stuff to say about Gary LaRock. Uh, but you'd hope that there are some more, you know, analytically conscious guys uh, that become a, a part of this mix and you know you don't have to be a total stat hand I don't like that I think you could be balanced but you better have an understanding of the scouting of the analytics of the numbers and how they all uh, mix together those are the best GMs in the sport and anybody who's worked for Theo Epstein knows all about that and yeah you'd love to pluck somebody off that tree uh, if you had the opportunity 800-321-0710 again 800-321-0710 we can take some Mets calls coming up uh, otherwise uh, we'll start diving into the Jets uh, a big win yesterday against the Denver Broncos would you learn about Sam Darnold in uh, one of his more impressive games in his young career that's coming up Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York 710 WOR 710 WOR you're in the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. 
Well, it's a couple division series could be wrapped up today. We know one is already done. The Astros sweeping the Cleveland Indians. That is impressive. 11 to 3 Astros over the Tribe. And the Indians had a real weak schedule all season long. I thought that was a good team. I thought they had a lot of pitching on that team and the Astros just romped right through them. I mean, 11 runs today and sweeping the Indians. The Astros are really 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 good. And they are going to be extremely dangerous. And I think the favorite, no matter what, in that ALCS against either the Red Sox or the Yankees. And at the moment, the Dodgers with a 6-2 to lead over the Atlanta Braves. Uh, that game in the middle of the eighth inning uh, and a win for the Dodgers would uh, eliminate the Braves. So the Dodgers look to be well on their way, as expected. Maybe an extra game uh, than people expect. That you know, I thought the Dodgers would just walk in there and sweep. They lost one so be it uh and you know they that would set up uh, i think uh, a terrific nlcs with the dodgers and the brewers uh the brewers with a phenomenal bullpen not a whole lot of starting pitching the dodgers are, are mixing and matching in a variety of different ways one of the smartest teams in the sport one of the deepest teams in the sport uh and that would uh you know that would certainly be fun to see those two uh going head to head so that's the way it's setting up baseball wise right now uh but let's uh shift gears here as uh, we'll dive into the jets victory yesterday uh, against the denver Broncos. Broncos 34 to 16 and this was utter domination from the Jets at least after the first uh, 5 to 10 minutes of the game we had an early fumble and the Broncos connect uh, on a touchdown the Jets miss a gimme field goal and it felt like oh my gosh uh, the wheels are coming off for this Jets team they can't get anything going and then all of a sudden, Isaiah Crowell busts out a 70-plus yard touchdown run. And the Jets, they were explosive yesterday. They were able to hit on some big plays. Uh, Isaiah Crowell was running at will yesterday's game. Bilal Powell ended up with 99 yards, over 300 yards rushing from the Jets yesterday. Uh, and Sam Darnold, under 50% completion percentage. But something that you really liked was he's finally able to connect with Robbie Anderson. And, you know, a little difference between how Robbie Anderson went about things in recent weeks and say what you get from Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, this past week and clearly one more accomplished than the other. But while Odell bemoaned the schemes and the fact that the Giants don't throw the ball more than 20 yards downfield and he wants 20 targets a game, Robbie Anderson, for the most part, kept his mouth shut and continued to have confidence that Sam Darnold and he were going to develop that chemistry and they'd be able to utilize what he does. And Anderson is great speed became a nice weapon for the Jets with Josh McCown last season, but he just hadn't really connected with Darnold yet. And Darnold, twice in yesterday's game, able to hit Anderson in stride, one for a long touchdown, another in coverage in the end zone for a second touchdown, that's a huge step. Not only now is Sam Darnold willing to let it rip deep, but he picks up some chemistry with one of his better weapons. And the Jets do have some offensive weapons, as we saw yesterday. They do have an offensive line that could be at least competent, if not outright dominate a game in the way that they did yesterday. And not just the fact that they rushed for over 300 yards, but the fact that Von Miller was a total non-factor in yesterday's game. And there's no doubt the Jets benefited from the scheduling. 
Denver coming off a hard-fought divisional game against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football up at altitude in Denver. Then have to travel east, play that 1 o'clock game that's always tough for the West Coast teams, even a mountain zone team uh, like Denver. That's a tough spot for them to be in. And they looked like if not just physically exhausted, that they just quit. The Jets were able to dominate, physically dominate uh, the Broncos in yesterday's game. Uh, defensively, Leonard Williams with his best game as a Jet, constantly in the face of Case Keenum, able to rack up some sacks and actually have it pay off statistically uh, in that game. There were some big sacks that the Jets were able to get of Keenum. And don't discount either that that was an emotional game for the New York Jets. After Casey Rogers, their defensive coordinator, uh, we don't know exactly what his health issue that he is dealing with is, but we do know it is serious. He was not on the sideline for Sunday's game. And football is an emotional sport, and you find a way to trigger that however you can. Uh, And I I think this is one of those things that does galvanize a team, uh, that does allow you to play up a little bit and give a team a higher purpose uh, to go out there and win. And I I thought that was part of what you saw yesterday from the New York Jets. So a lot of good things. Donald wasn't great, but he took another step. He showed he can take advantage of the deep ball. He showed he can find Robbie Anderson and be on the same page as him. Uh, is a huge day for the offensive line. But the big question for the Jets now coming off of this game and stomping a Broncos team, can you maintain it? Can you do it again? And all too often for the Jets over the years, they play a complete game. They take down the Bills and pick them apart on Thursday Night Football last year. The opener of this season, they destroy the Detroit Lions in the second half. But then the next week, falling flat time and again over the years. They have not been able to maintain success and build one win on top of another. And that is something that they still have to prove. But there is an opportunity for them here. And I don't really buy into them as a playoff team. I don't think they are. You can't lose to the Browns on the road in the way that they did and consider yourself a playoff team. You can't lose the way that they did to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they're a real good football team. But you can't give up 500 yards of total offense to Blake Bortles and consider yourself a playoff contender. But you do look ahead, and if the Jets are going to try to convince you that they are a playoff contender, this is their opportunity. This is where it lies. They get the Colts at home this week. The Colts are a struggling football team. Andrew Luck does not appear to be 100%. Now, the schedule works out the other way. It's a long week for Indianapolis. They played Thursday night against the New England Patriots. But the Colts have not been playing very good football. Then the Jets get the Vikings at home. They have three consecutive home games. So an opportunity to make some hay there. Uh, the Vikings, uh, a lot of talent. Kirk Cousins, what he has done this year, and uh, usually a tremendous defense, but it hasn't quite played that way thus far. But those are winnable games for the Jets. They go to Chicago, a team that is much improved. It's on the road, but a winnable game for the Jets. They go to Miami, who they already lost to at home. I mean, the Dolphins picked apart by New England last weekend. And then Buffalo at home. 
And Buffalo has been kind of all over the map. They've won a couple of games, but they have looked like the worst team in the league at times. And then somehow beat the Vikings. Uh, they played a good game yesterday for a second win this season. So these next five games, they're not terrible. This is not a murderer's row of opponents going up against the Jets. These are the kind of teams that if you want to be a postseason contender, you got to go out and win. And even the back end of the schedule doesn't look as fearsome as it did at the start of the year, where, yeah, you close out with the New England Patriots, but the Packers are really struggling this year. They're beating themselves every Sunday. And then the Texans haven't been able to recapture the offensive magic that Sean Watson provided last year. Uh, So, again, these next few weeks here for the Jets prove that you can put two back-to-back real good solid games together. Prove that you can handle some success. Prove that you can handle prosperity. That's what this Jets team is going to have to do going forward as they try to take those next steps. And unfortunately for the Jets, they have been inconsistent for a long time. Going back to the Rex Ryan years. And it was easy to put it on Rex being so emotional where the team would be up here one week and then down there the next and they they are always a high-variability football team, well, that really hasn't changed much with the even-killed Todd Bowles at the helm. But that has to change for this Jets team going forward. So there were definitely some good things yesterday. Again, a huge day for the offensive line. Uh, Sam Darnold able to do enough. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot yesterday, which is the way you prefer it as you break him in. Uh, But now... Can you handle prosperity? Can you do it again? Can you take down a Colts team convincingly the way that you did the Denver Broncos yesterday? That's the next step for the Jets as they try to build into, at the very least, a playoff contender in the early years of Sam Darnold's career. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. We'll take some phone calls coming up. I was at the Jets game yesterday. I'll give you some perspective of uh, being in the stands. Uh, so we'll have that coming up as well. Uh, we'll hit our oddities in the 8 o'clock hour and keep you updated on everything going on in the sports world. This is the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on the Voice of New York, 710 WOR. 